If your Bible's go with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts. Feels weird doing that. Feels weird doing that. We were in the book of Ephesians for 82 weeks, and, and then for the, about the past 17, 18 weeks, we've done a couple different, uh, more topical series, and now through the book of Acts. <clears throat> Probably be a few people, uh, I uh, hope this doesn't freak you out too much. There'll probably be a few passages here and there that we might actually skip over. I, I promise. Breath, right? <gasps> I, I promise you, it's not because we're unwilling to preach what the passage says. There are much harder things to preach in, a, like Ephesians. Uh, really, nothing in Acts is that scary. Um, let's begin. Verse 1, we'll read through 11. <clears throat> Here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, suffering apostles whom he had chosen. Peering, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them from me, for John baptized with water, to wait for the promise with the Holy Spirit, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Time restore the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, It is not Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Uh, Father, may we anxiously for the coming of your son Jesus. For the coming of your son Jesus. Father, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, your elders have been looking forward to the book of Acts all year long. This has been uh, anticipated greatly amongst us. You say, why the book of Acts? Why go, why go from Ephesians to, uh, to community and talking about what community looks like, to an overview of the whole Bible, then to our perspective question that we can answer here at the very beginning. Um, from our perspective, we've undergone some pretty people and brought people, brought fast over the past year. God has moved people and brought people, brought forward new leaders, new plans, new vision. And God has moved people and brought people, brought forward new leaders, new plans, new vision. And, and we're thrilled, thoroughly thrilled about where God uh, is taking us as a church. Think of it this way. It's kind of a beginning to a very new go, but 
season of you know, seasons come and seasons go, but I think we're kind of at the beginning of a new season of life, and we see much of the same thing in the book of Acts. Those followers of Jesus are beginning a whole new season of life, indeed a completely new way of life, really, at, particularly at the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I think we have much to learn, I'm just, and, and this is true of many different books of the Bible, but particularly during this season of our church's life, we have much to learn from the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Acts 1.1 in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is not really a disputed fact, but Luke is the author of the book of Luke, or the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. Luke was a prolific doctor, a writer, a historian, even a travel companion of Paul's. And the gospel do and teach, and now he continues his writing of the Acts of Christ. And now he continues his writing of the Acts of Christ that Jesus will now carry out through the Spirit and the church. Some have argued that this book is wrongly titled The Acts of the Apostles and should be The Acts of Christ. Choice. It is indeed The Acts of Christ. I think that that's probably a good choice. It is indeed The Acts of Christ. It is His body. It is His church that now begins to do these things. So even when we think, like here at the very beginning, as we think about the book of Acts, like it's not just the apostles now running around doing and trying to, to organize the church and be used by the Spirit to spread the gospel to the nations. Indeed, it's actually Christ who is doing these things. This is His work. This is His role, His job. He commands these very footsteps of the apostles. See, Jesus' ministry began as Luke recorded it in the book of Luke, and now it continues in the book of Acts. Jesus' ministry, as you look through the Gospels, involves both doing and teaching, something we must, in our day and age, remember. A day and age line up with, indeed, what is coming out of our mouths. Jesus' did, though. He, his ministry involved both doing and teaching. One did, though. His deed, he his ministry involved both doing and teaching. One said this, Jesus' deeds illustrated His words. He left the church with the same ministry. His deeds. And He left the church with the same ministry. And so we have to ask the question, I believe, at the beginning of a book concerned with the root, the beginning, the birth of the church, we must ask the question, are we faithfully partaking in this ministry as well. Indeed, do does the do our deeds <clears throat> are they do do they illustrate our words and do our words explain our deeds? Or are they disjuncted? Are they in opposition? Are we faithfully partaking in this ministry of Christ? If listen, if we're going to be the church carrying on Jesus' ministry, we must be doing and teaching, proclaiming and acting. But unfortunately, again, so much of our lots of doing verbal proclamation with oftentimes doing 
Or maybe there's a lot, a lot of doing, it's just the wrong doing. Oftentimes, very little of our doing actually lines up with our saying or our teaching. Our deeds and our words are mixed. They actually betray each other. Our actions oftentimes betray our words. A couple examples. We say we believe in the ascension of Christ. We say we believe in Him ascended, and yet we still live. We say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and yet we have so We say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and yet we have so little ability to lay our lives down for the good of the body of Christ. We say justifying sin and living for no one other than ourselves. You say, okay, well, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. What do each of those things have to do in our resurrection? What does that have to do with the ascension? What does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? Exactly. I think that's part of what it has to do with the Holy Spirit. What do these things have to do with exactly? And those are just examples part of the problem. What do these things have to do with each other? And those are just examples. The question is, do we really believe these things we say we believe? Luke writes, listen, look at right at the very beginning. Luke writes, so that Theophilus and those reading afterwards would believe that they would know. So that they would know what is the truth. So that we would know what is the truth. So that we would know the facts. So that we would know the historic veracity of the Christ resurrected, ascended, and the Holy Spirit come. We would know these things. Indeed, I believe these things, these truths concerning the resurrection and the ascension and the Holy Spirit come are in many ways the foundation to the birth of the church. And there's a reason why Luke starts here. There's a reason why Christ leaves here. We must believe these core things and live out, and here's the key, live out the implications thereof. These, that they're not simply something we can set on a shelf and take or leave it when we feel like it. We can set on a shelf or leave it when we the implications. It's not just we must believe these and live out. It's only once that which we believe changes the way you think, act, and emote. That's when belief is taking root in your heart, even in your mind. That's when belief is taking root in your heart, in your mind. So here we have three foundational truths. That's what I want to work through. Three foundational truths from Chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, truths given here at the birth of the church and that we must believe. And we must believe in such a way that it drives our lives. The first one is this. The resurrection is objective truth. And it means something for every if you can't, If you can't swallow that, if you can't swallow the resurrection as a if you, can't, if you can't swallow that, if you can't swallow the resurrection as objective truth, then it being very important, vital, if you will, to the gospel, 
uh, you don't believe the gospel. He presented himself alive. Jesus, right? Presented himself alive 40 days after his suffering by of God. Appearing to them during... Or Luke writes about Jesus. Jesus living, presenting himself alive. And he Jesus by living, presenting himself alive. And he does this by many proofs. Listen, all of us struggle with believing in the resurrection. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. struggle with the mind captivating and soul driving. Interacting with your why does it not drive your thoughts when you're interacting with your children, when you're not? Because the interacting with the resurrection changes. Is it it means something. I have some speculation on why. It means something. I have some speculation on why. But I think it's oftentimes because we're not submitted to. I have some speculation on why. But I think it's oftentimes because we're not submitted to the truth. We, we, we question on why. But I think it's oftentimes because we're not submitted to the truth. We, we, we have a mental assent to the to, truth, but that's different than being submitted under the truth. We are instead submitted to, and what's driving us is our subjective emotions and desires. That's what tends to drive us in this culture. That's what rules us, not the truth. Not the facts. Even when you look at media and, and how, how, what drives our culture, n- none of that stuff's based on facts, or at least rarely ever. Let me, let me back off my hyperbole. Rarely ever does it have anything to do with facts. It's just about what can we do to get an emotional rise that will drive the goal that we want. Which side? We just feed it. And we just give in to that. So even tr- often, struggle with truth. So even truth, like we, we struggle with truth, thinking of it as merely subjective. Something that we hold, but doesn't hold us. Dr. Albert Moeller said, you know, so that's really the question I'm asking is, but conviction is something. Resurrection drive you. Instead, often the belief we're called. That's the extent of the two. Can leave. It's something we can conveniently truth. It's it's not something we can take and something we can push in that something we can conveniently forget when it's not appropriate to accomplish again that which our heart most greatly desires. As a society, we've been taught that truth is something. Go get it. Hold up when it's convenient for you. You're fine. <clears throat> Don't worry about. It. You can go truth. When you're an example, not the tr- practical example here. This let me give you. you need someone very, but you don't fall away from the living God. Say in Hebrews three that you, he says you need this daily. That's a tr- daily. So if we believe that the scriptures are inspired, then that's a truth. That's a, a reality spoken about our hearts and our minds. So life gets tough about our hearts. So remember this truth. So when life gets tough. I think it's easy for us to remember this truth. And so we reach out for help, right? We grab it down from the shelf. But on days or seasons where we feel strong and we feel like we got this together, not a truth that holy forget that truth or we place and take in something we can shelf. And it's not a truth that holds us and drives us. It's something we can take and something we can leave. 
drives us. It's something we that might be something we can leave. It's truth that might be good for someone else during this time, but it's not good. So that you now. What I want you to see is that Luke writes, resurrection, you and I would believe. And that we believe at first, that we believe that the truth. Objective fact. And that if it is true, then it changes something. Indeed, it changes everything. I think it's interesting how, how Luke begins. You're talking about how Jesus. I think it's interesting how, how Luke begins. You're talking about how Jesus presented himself to many people 40 days, giving them many proofs. I mean, could you like imagine moving himself with me for just a second? What that would look like is resurrected. Jesus walking around proving himself many times. That could you imagine being just walking with him, seeing what he does. Jesus proved himself many times. But, but understand, what's that implying? It's implying that they couldn't believe it was times. But, but understand, what's that implying? It's implying that they couldn't believe it was Jesus. It means that they would see him and it's not Jesus. It can't be Jesus. It is his, him, his body resurrected, but something has changed. They couldn't believe it. They Resurrected has changed. They said they give it. They they sent physically and listen. Doubted with him present physically. Think it only. So the question is, why not? So the question is, why did they believe? Why did they believe? Listen, they, they didn't, it wasn't like they wanted to believe, so they were just like into making something up so that they could believe. No, they doubted the reality. They didn't want to believe, but they happened for them to believe. Happened. Whatever needed to happen for them to believe, happened. Jesus did it. He proved himself to them. There was a clear, objective, believable, seeable evidence that Jesus was resurrected. That he was there before their very eyes, and they believed. And what happened? I mean, we, we, I don't get, right, get too far ahead of myself, but what happens in the book of Acts post being convinced of the resurrection? We can do nothing but testify about him. So it asks the question to us, can we do nothing but in the way the early church, but the risen Lord? If it doesn't capture, we don't believe, drive us to communicate it to our spouse when they're struggling. If it doesn't drive us to communicate it to our spouse when they're struggling. If it doesn't drive us to communicate it to us, our children who are sinning before our eyes, if, to our lost neighbors we cannot help but testify to the risen Lord that we're not believing the resurrection. Do you believe the resurrection? If you do, it changes things. Brokenness around you and inside you. All the brokenness around you in one day. It will be made right one day. All around you, inside you will be made right one day.
if the resurrection is true. If it's not true, change how I view the brokenness for that. You see how that begins to change? Now, how does it begins to change brokenness? It changes the brokenness of my life. The resurrection changes then the way I respond to the brokenness. It changes the way I hope in the brokenness. Changes then the way I respond to the brokenness. It changes the way I hope in the brokenness. It changes the way I think about it and feel about it. It, it changes everything. If the resurrection is true, then as one person said, in the face of death. For those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the face of death, on the other side of death, is the eternal arms of God. Listen, if the resurrection, next one, if the resurrection is true, then in the face of physical agony, on the other side of pain, is the tender arm. If the resurrection is true, then in the presence of your own sin, you can confess it true it because it's only your own sin resurrection. You can confess it and be healed of it because it's only the beginning of God's resurrection of you unto eternal life. It must change. If you know the resurrection to be true, you can't just sit on through. It will change you. It down when it will be something that drives your conversation on the shelf and take your emotions. It drives the thoughts of your mind. Drives your, the thoughts of your the means everything. Second, the ascension of Jesus. Second, ascension of Jesus shows us. Ascension of Jesus shows us that of the new kingdom of the new kingdom. The kingdom about. What's it look like? What's going on? What's this new? The, how, are, how are things functioning so in the new kingdom? kingdom how is functioning? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now I actually cut these notes from my sermon because of time, but. Go back and study just how much wrong is expressed in, those, in that one verse. I mean, they managed to like really nail the uh, incorrectness on the head right there. It's like two or three wrong things they said. I love how Jesus responds to them. Watch, watch. Times or seasons, that's verse 7 and verse 9. His own authority said to them, It is not for you to know time. He had said these things. Father has fixed by his it up, and a cloud took him out. 9. And when he sight, as they were looking on, he was lifted. Look, look how Jesus responds there. Look, guys, only the Father knows. And I'm out of here. Only the Father knows. And I'm out of here. About this peace. His response to their questions about this kingdom was the ascension. Hey Jesus, when when will the kingdom be a reality? Jesus' answer: I'm ascending to the throne of God. This is where I'm going. It's not for you to know. I'm going there. What is Jesus saying? What, why would Jesus answer them this way? Listen, Jesus' answer says, 
There is a change that is going to come in very eyes. Your, your questions about the kingdom and when is it us come and what's, what's it going to look like and are you going to restore this to, to us, your people? And Jesus says, I'm ascending to the Father. There is a change that is happening right before your very eyes and it impacts the way you view this kingdom. Listen, the answer to your question, even though it may not be the answers you're looking at us, they need to know what the ascensored in the ascension means. What is, the, what is happening in the world? Therefore, we Christ. Again, this is important for us to grasp if we think about the birth of the church and then how we and what, how we live as a church and what drives us as the church and how do we view church life and the ascension and how we live as the church and drives us as the church and how do we view life and the ascension is so important to this question. Timothy Keller was really helpful in working through a few of these pieces. I would paraphrase him a couple times. I want to give you three keys to understanding the ascension. Three keys to understanding the ascension. I think much like the resurrection, the ascension, and the way we understand it will change everything. First of all is this. The ascension means... We can have relational intimacy. We can have re- God. The ascension means we can have relational intimacy with God. I mean, like, what does that mean? Like, do, does that even like change anything inside of us? When we think about brokenness. In our relationship with God, because of our sin, but because of the ascension, we can be in intimate relationship with the Father. Let's go to John 20, for a few moments, verse 15 through 17. Post said to her, right, this is at the tomb, post-crucifixion uh, and post-resurrection, and here we are. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, listen to Jesus' response. Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your God. Wow. Jesus is saying, when he says, don't have such a death to me so tightly. Don't have such a death grip upon me. Why was she doing this? Why was Mary grabbing a hold of Jesus like this? Because she was afraid of ever losing him again. She couldn't think of the idea of being without Jesus. Again, she says, do you cling to Jesus? Jesus continues. Jesus says, don't, don't cling because I'm a sinner. 
What Mary doesn't realize at this moment is that if Jesus was to stay here on the earth, that she would eventually have to let him go. To stay here on the release him, she would eventually have to let him go care for someone else. Eventually have to, she would eventually have to go take care of other needs of this life. She might even eventually have to experience suffering as she's ripped away from his presence. But Jesus knows that if he ascends, the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus knows. Never have to fear that through the Holy Spirit come, Mary will never have to fear losing Jesus again. Ever. The dark Keller said, You see, even the never alone, because Christ through the Spirit will be with you. Spirit will be. The, the thought that I want in your mind at this moment is this. Why is it I want to provoke sometimes? Why is it here sometimes? Just take that thought captive. Do something with it this week. But as Jesus ascends, he knows that through the Spirit, Mary will never have to fear losing him again. It means that in this kingdom, we do the Spirit, again, the nature of the kingdom, the fear losing him again. Church is birth. This kingdom, we think about, again, the nature of the kingdom, the nature in which the church is birthed. The nature in which the church is birthed. It means the church, because of the, is birthed. It means that because of the Spirit come, which is, it means that because of the Spirit come, which is preceded by the ascension of Jesus, it means that we can live in the presence of God for eternity through the Spirit come. From this overwhelming relationship that our eternally internal dwelling need others that any sort of void enough we don't need listen it also means that even in the depths of our sin fill in its consequences we can know it's the love of the father in the depths of our sin and its consequences we can know and experience the love of the father so we can have relational intimacy the ascension means so we can have relational intimacy intimacy with ascension means we have relational strategy of number two. The essential always means the striking the cross has and will always be his primary way of work. cross. Has and will always be his primary way of working. Has and will always be the primary way of working. The strategy of the cross. What is the strategy of the cross? Ephesians 1, 20-23. That he worked in Christ. I know I cut off a bunch here. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And I know I cut off his right hand. In 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at him above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head points, all things to the church, which is his body. I want to make to you very two simple points. I make to you two very simple points at this junction. First of all, this. Jesus is ascending to the everything. His ascension to the throne means he's controlling. His ascension to the throne means he's controlling everything. His ascension means he is on the throne. He is you may be familiar with a passage like Romans 8.28 where he's working all things for the good of those who are loved and called according to his purpose. So for his redeemed children, Jesus has worked through all things for their good. And him ascending to the throne puts him in the position where he's doing this. Him ascending to the throne puts him in the position where he's doing this and doing this for us. Listen, if he hasn't, Ephesians 1 tells us that God is good for us. Him, his name above names, and has put everything underneath. God has made his name above all names and has put everything underneath his feet. Throne. He does this from the throne. Like the throne room. Think, think of it as like the control room, if you will. From the Universal power and might. But here's the question. How does he rule? Like, what, by what strategy, by what mode does he operate? Jesus rules by the strategy of the cross. Let me paint this picture for you. The strategy of the cross. You see the strategy in the garden. I will take your sin... And I will send in response the serpent crusher. You see this with Joseph. I will take this, your sin, brothers, the cross in Moses. I will take people, genocide, and give. You see the strategy of the, to my people. I will take Pharaoh's genocide and give life to my people. You see, the world sought to bring death to Jesus, and death they did. But God took the death of Jesus and brought eternal life to his children. He took death, brought life of the cross. And this is the means by which Christ rules from the throne room upon his ascension. He rules in such a way where he takes the bad and turns it to good. This is ruling your life by the strategy of the cross. Every moment of every day, Jesus operates by that strategy of the cross. He is running every ounce of pain and your trials by that strategy. Every ounce of it, every moment of it, every, every ounce of it, every moment of it, every moment of depression, every moment of struggle, every moment of physical pain, every moment of being sinned against, Every ounce of your sin and my sin and the consequences caused. He takes these. He goes, okay, 
I want to use that for my glory. Why do we run away from heat so much? Because we don't believe that in the ascension, Christ raised to the throne room of God, that this is his strategy. Why do we want to run from circumstances so much? Because we don't believe that this is God's strategy. We don't trust God that, that in Christ's ascension that He's ruling, that He could possibly use this for my good. How can I know that this is what Christ is doing in the midst of my pain? I can know because of the ascension. But in the th- without the ascension, number three, the ascension means an attitude that transforms the way I live. The ascension, right? We have an advocate before the words of which we're probably before the Father. To read to you from Hebrews chapter seven, verse twenty-two through twenty-five. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. You'll have to go read earlier that to. By death from, but the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he consequently priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he to the others lives. Most those who draw near them. for with them. Advocate before the Father. Understand, listen, that the throne room of God is also the courtroom of the cosmos. The throne room of God is also the courtroom of the cosmos. The throne room of God is also the courtroom of the cosmos. No one escapes or avoids the justice of this room. No one does. No one will. No one ever has. All must sit before His honor. No one ever has. All must sit before His honor. But in this courtroom, for His honor. But in this courtroom, those who are God's children have a lawyer. We have an intercessor. And if there is any charge brought against us, Jesus is our lawyer. Now, I've heard this metaphor worked out and, and exactly like what this means and like helping us understand this intercessory work of Christ. And um, one of the ways in which I've heard it explained is, you know, like when I have a, a sin, like, the fa- like Jesus goes before the Father and says, Hey, his sin that he just did, we see that, both of us, we see that, but my blood has covered it. He is due forgiveness. Again, I, I think that might be explained that way. Again, I, I think that's helpful for you. Keller gave a, I, it's really, maybe at least my view, what that looks like. Really, I think changes it. At least my view, be this example. 
at least in riches. Why do we care so much about what others think about us? Think about that for just a moment. So much about what others, why do we care so much about, about us? For just a moment. Maybe in your home, you care supremely about what you think about you. Maybe at work, you want to be perceived as the most productive. Maybe in the church, you want to be perceived as knowing the Bible well. Listen, even those who say this, well, I know the Bible well. Listen, even those who say this, well, I don't care what others think about. All you're saying is that you want others to listen that you're above there. It betrays you. All you're saying is that you want others to think, care what of their opinions. Even there, you care what other people think. That's why we care so much. This is something you and I can't ex- escape. And here's why we care so much. Life is like a courtroom. We're desperate for verdicts. Oh, you must. We want someone to say, well done, fantastic job, you're the best I've ever seen. Wow, together. Man, he knows his Bible, particularly verdicts from his wise. Most about. We need verdicts, and particularly verdicts from people we care most. Children. It could be your leaders, it could be your children or your boss, your friends on social media. It could be a variety of people, but you care. You desperately need their verdict. You don't need their approval. Now the world's response to this is what? You don't need their approval. That you're satisfied with yourself. That, that you're happy with yourself. That's the response the, the world has. And that's just garbage. That you're happy. It's not garbage because we just don't like it. It's garbage because it's not true. Like that, that can't be. That we, we don't live that way. Humankind isn't able to live that way. We were created, listen, with a need for someone outside ourselves to say, good job, well done. Need for seated that way. Good job. The answer to it is not, we're created. The answer is not look inward, not ignore it. We were created to need fix it. We were created to need someone outside of ourselves. Listen, it's like life is in failures. That we're we know that we're just got this huge pile of mess that no one else knows anything about, or if they do, they know very little of it. Huge pile of mess. Even no one else knows anything about. Or if they do, they know very little of it. Even the most arrogant of us knows that this is the reality. We all, the most arrogant of us knows that this is the reality. We all walk around to some measure feeling like imposters. And listen, if you don't understand the ascension, this is the life you will live. A slave in your own courtroom. In the ascension, this is the life you will live. A slave in your own courtroom. But Jesus is our lawyer in the courtroom of heaven. A lawyer, thought about a lawyer and what this looks like in a courtroom. Listen, if, you're, if your lawyer looks good, you look good. 
You could be a mess, but if your lawyer looks together, you look together. You have, may have no idea how to argue your way out of this situation, but if your lawyer has a good argument, you have a good argument. We have a lawyer in the courtroom of heaven. Listen, when the Father sent Jesus, think through this with me. When the Father sent Jesus to die on the cross for us sinners, He was showing us what? Mercy. He was showing us mercy. He was showing us mercy. For Him to sacrifice His own Son to die for our sins, that was mercy. But now the debt has been paid. So that what is Jesus doing in the courtroom of heaven? Father, please show Susie mercy. But the debt's been paid. First, if we confess, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and what? Just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So He is what? He is just to forgive us our sins. It's like this. It's like Jesus goes before the Father and says, you know, my brother, your son, Matt, has sinned again. He did this. But Father, I'm not asking you for mercy because I paid the debt. Do you see the scars? Father, it would be unjust for you to require two payments for his sins. And that argument is infallible. And that very root of God's character that gets to the very root of God's character. Justice. I'm not asking you for mercy for him. You showed him mercy when you sent me to die on the cross. I'm asking you for justice. For justice. It means, you know what this means? It means that the verdict is in. It means that it's been handed down. Listen, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him as the ascended Lord into the throne room, the courtroom of heaven, that the verdict is in. That you and I are beautiful and gorgeous, successful, perfect in the eyes of the only person who matters. It means that you and I don't have to be. It means you don't anymore. Do you know what this means like practically as we work this out? It means you don't have to walk around like a whitewashed tomb pretending that you have it all together. It means you can be honest about your sin and you can be humble and receive exhortation. Courtroom of heaven. If you believe in the ascended Christ to the courtroom of heaven. It means that when someone exhorts you, your inner lawyer is absolutely pathetic and you need to tell him to be quiet. I had a stronger phrase than be quiet in my notes. 
It means that the approval of others can be valued rightly without controlling you wrongly. Listen, when you know the truth of the resurrection and believe in the work of the ascension, and then the Spirit does His part, you will be set free. Last point. The Holy Spirit makes the realities of the ascension real in the lives of God's people. He makes these realities. Verse 8, for you and I. Verse 8. And, when you, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of what? The life, the resurrection, the life, death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Witnesses of what? The ascend, the ascension, the work of Christ now at the Father's right hand of a little outline. Here are my witnesses of a story of redemption. Here are my witnesses, and you'll receive what? Power redemption to do this. Here are my witnesses, and you'll receive what? Power to do this. He knew this. You see, Jesus had to go in order for the Spirit to come. He knew this. This is how the kingdom works. In this new kingdom, right, we have relational intimacy with God, we have Christ controlling everything from the throne room of heaven, working it all for the good of His children, for His brothers and sisters, and for God's children. And we have an advocate before the Father. This is the nature of the new kingdom. And now the Spirit dwells in God's people, bringing these realities to life. Again, why do you think the church was so powerful in these earlier days? Because they got that. Because the Spirit came upon them like, yes, believe in the resurrection. And it changes everything. I know the ascension. And it changes. But speak about what He has done. See, all of these things that we've talked about, the Spirit is the one who makes them to you and to me. Is this the Spirit that makes the intimacy with the Father real? You don't feel close to God? Close to the Father? Listen, read the Word, pray, confess, until the Spirit makes it real. As you commune in prayer and the Word, as you follow God's under-shepherds, as you commune with the local body, as you fast, various, the Spirit uses these things to make intimacy real. Listen, if you are touchy because you've been slighted, someone said, touchy because you've been slighted, someone said, if you're a high maintenance because of your idolism, if you're driven because you need others' approval, 
if you're selfish because you have to preserve your own way of life, if you're the king still in the throne of your own heart, the Holy Spirit has not brought the essential at home in your heart. If the Spirit does, but if He does, the Spirit does, there will be courage, patience, tenderness, playfulness, trust, patience, tenderness, trust, restfulness. You see, these things make a difference, but it's the Spirit who brings them home in our heart. Listen, Christ has ascended, and He sits in the mighty throne room of heaven. This is what's happened to us. He came of the church. This means something for us. He came, He died, He rose again. Things for your good and for God's glory. In all things for those good and for God's glory. For those who believe in the gospel work, in, the, in Him coming, living the life that we unto the throne room of heaven, then you too can be saved. Here we see the birth of the church, a people who too, the resurrection can be saved. Here we see the birth of the church, a people who believe in the resurrection are changed by the ascension kingdom, by the Spirit to experience the beauty of God's new kingdom. It's the birth of a people, a new way of life. My question for us is like, do we live on the new way of life? It's upon these truths that the church is birthed. Why? Again, because these truths change every action, word, thought, and emotions. And by the Spirit, Christ, His rulership, and the Father's decrees, everything is being put into submission. So let me ask you, do our great King, the Lord, deeds, do they line up? How is it that that happens? How do our words and deeds line up the way that Christ did? In the way that how do our words and deeds church? The way that Christ did its work of bringing the way that they did often in the early church. It's by the Spirit's work of bringing these realities at home in our hearts and our minds. The resurrection changes things. The ascended work of Jesus changes Everything. So I'd ask you, do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the ascension? Do you believe in the Spirit come? Here we have the birth of the... Amen. Let's pray. Your Spirit... Father, I pray that your Spirit would do what only your Spirit can do, and that is bring these realities at home in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds... Father, that you would save us unto a new season of life, that, Father, you would rescue us, maybe from our nominal Christian living at best, or maybe even our lostness that we've called redemption, way of life. Rescue us from these things, that you would save us unto a different way of life.
that you would bring the resurrection to bear on the way we we plan. Father, that we the way of in light with our children. Father, that we would live in light with our children, our spouses, our the control room of heaven and the court of the heaven. Of heaven, Father, that you would help us to see that. Father, that you would help us to see that strengthening our one of the greatest ways the Spirit gives us power is by strengthening our conviction and belief in such things as the ascension and the resurrection. For this reason, O Theophilus, I write that you would believe these things that you would have faith. Uh, It's in your name we pray. Amen.